Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and this is 70 Millimeter, finally a podcast about movies. Each week, I'm joined by famous artist Danny Haas. I'm sorry. And writer, poet, Protolexis. Being the mother of Satan's child is kind of a big deal. Later in this episode, we're focusing on the horror classic, Rosemary's Baby. Enjoy. Big movie news. HBO Max is out. New streaming service. But I just want to say the library in this app is pretty darn good. Mm. I thought like we had it made in the shade with Amazon Video's trash like VHS library of crummy horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is like an up this is like an upgrade of movies. Like so let me just rattle off a few movies that I added. The original Solaris that we've been talking about doing. I know Proto's been drooling over that movie for some time. Uh it's not a Herzog movie, but we'll make do. Um the original Batman eighty nine, which we're doing next week. Oh Vampire. The Witches of Eastwick. Critters. The entire or the majority of the Studio Ghibli library. Mm. North by Northwest, Eraserhead, 2001, The Abyss, Apocalypse Now, The Harry Potters, just to name a few. I forgot that it was even happening. <laughs> not on my radar. I don't, um, I'm not one to subscribe to stream, another streaming service, but I did see the list of movies and I was aghast. Mm. at what was on there. They have some older movies and every movie feels handpicked. I couldn't believe as I'm looking at this list, there was every other one I wanted to, I wanted to see it and it was a movie I hadn't seen before. Mm. Amazing. Danny, your thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't looked yet, but I watched you guys uh, drool over it in Slack and I'm very excited for it. They have um, Turner classic movies is one of the like mini hubs included um in hbo max and i'm not so like the main press for a lot of this is just like oh hbo max is a mess the search sucks but i haven't and it's like confusing to sign up but i've never subscribed to hbo before i don't have now or go i don't really watch game of thrones so this is just like a brand new app to me and they have singing in the rain rebel without a cause the original star is born an american in paris and I don't know, it's pretty legit. Like, I feel like I could just watch Turner Classic movies for the next couple of weeks. Like, my dad watches his old VHSs, mm. you know, in, uh, hours at a time. So I'm pretty pretty stoked to dig in on um, what looks to be a pretty solid library. But when was the last time we saw Singing in the Rain? Not this decade. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do Singing in the Rain or a musical that's not Cats as a bonus <laughs> episode for this uh, podcast? I'd love uh, to do a musical. I mean, we have Hamilton coming up in July. Thanks for coming, Danny. Um, <laughs> let's talk about maybe Danny's replacement host next week. <laughs> we got Lynn Manuel coming in. This episode, we're discussing Rosemary's Baby. You know what's been called the greatest horror movie ever made. Who says that? Really? We'll, we'll see. Well, that's that's what I read online. People call wow. it all time greatest horror film. We'll see if everyone here they've seen the Rise of Skywalker, right? 
It's because you're a dyad, <laughs> Kylo Ren. The two of you, this whole time. Uh, we don't need to get into TROS. But Rosemary's Baby is our main feature presentation this week. We're going to get into it. Next week is probably the biggest episode we'll have ever done. <laughs> when we discuss Tim Burton's Batman, the first film. Proto has not seen it. I'm very excited to spend time watching that movie. Uh, just embracing the experience with the two of you and the VHS villagers. I haven't been this excited for an episode in a long time. Mostly bored doing this. So it's exciting to have a movie that I'm really thrilled to watch. I'm glad we're finally around the 20 episode mark. We're finally getting proto enthused yeah. to record every week. So I got him on board. I'm just pleased that that's taking place. Uh, we rate our little movies we see on Letterboxd. You should join up and uh, get a Letterboxd account, be friends with us. You can get links to. Um, the upcoming movies on a letterbox list in the episode notes. You can follow us through there as well. And if you share the show on social media, you are automatically entered to win a full year of letterbox pro, which is letterbox pro is free, but if you are a pro member, you get some additional cool features, no third party ads. You can view your history and movies, a lot of amazing sorting options. You can see where a movie is streaming when you're looking it up, which is super helpful. Uh, this week's winner of a year of Letterboxd Pro, Ileana Jade on Twitter. Congratulations. Thank you for sharing the show. Congrats. Congrats. Before we get into Rosemary's Baby, I know it sounds like it could get heated in here. You know? Uh, Proto, I saw that you watched The Conjuring this past oh, week. Can you oh, yeah. please let us inside your heart and explain that to us, how it was? I started The Conjuring couple months ago, I made it a half hour in, uh, then I had to take a break and I was able to come up with enough excuses to not revisit it <laughs> and eventually forget that I had started it. <laughs> but then I saw that Danny, somehow it came up in conversation that Danny had seen it. Um, I think you both gave it five stars. I thought, you know, let me, we're watching Rosemary's Baby, you know, let me get into the horror mood. So I put on The Conjuring. Uh, and I made it all the way through. Um, it's a crazy movie uh, outside my wheelhouse. Very scary. A lot of jump scenes. Uh, but some really beautiful uh, cinematic moments. Mm. Uh, I love the scene uh, at the clothesline. That jump was uh, amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it just looked awesome as well. And also the scene where they are taking the recording uh, equipment down into the basement, just not hearing anything out of the, the only hearing what's coming through the microphone mm -hmm. was, was so cool. Uh, so I love those moments. I gave the movie three stars because I, I can't see myself giving a movie more than three stars where I felt terrible <laughs> the whole time <laughs> I watched it. What did you give that war movie? Come with me. Come see me. What was the rating on that movie? Come and see. Uh, I, I don't know. Four stars, I guess. Because that just sure defeats your argument that you just made right in front of us. Were you physically ill while watching that movie about war? Mm. I wasn't physically ill the whole time. And that was more of a, um, uh, it's a different kind of illness. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Okay. Did you watch anything else this past week? 
I did. Uh, I watched Scoob <laughs> with my kids. It's a new animated movie that came out. You can rent it. And it. I gave it two stars. It looked really good to the eyeballs. Did it? Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's light on everything else. Not much of a story. It kind of drags on, even though it's only 90 minutes long. <laughs> Kind of, you know, just another animated movie you can put to the wayside. Um, but I did watch something else that I haven't logged yet. Oh, on, no. On Letterboxd. And if you saw the live stream this Saturday, you know what I'm talking about. Because everyone knows that I am the spiritual uh, counselor here. Mm-hmm. I provide mm-hmm. guidance. Uh, and I also bring spiritual healing. Mm. And now that it's, let's see, what month are we? It's May. It's almost the end of May. It's been about five months that I feel that the healing can truly begin. <laughs> and I know that it's it's my time. So I watched The Rise of Skywalker. I knew it. Oh I knew my it. God. I knew it. For the second time. And on Saturday, we were able to heal. As we devoted Holy an cow. entire live stream to the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Am I in hell? Am I in hell right now? <laughs> you heard my thoughts. You know where I stand. Oh, Did, so, tuning in. So let's just, you know, maybe we need to remind people about how that live stream went. How your thoughts were shared on our 70mm pod IG account, which you should follow and turn notifications on for. Did your yeah. rating change on the second viewing at all. Yeah. You gave it five stars if I recall correctly. Yeah. I gave it five stars. Uh, this time it's a, it's a four star movie for me because that first viewing will always be a five star. And sometimes you can't revisit, you can't recreate the magic of the first time you see a movie, you know, it's opening weekend. It's Sunday morning. I'm in there alone with a, 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 a full house in the theater I'm watching. I'm just taking it in for the first time. And it's like a truly a magical experience that I'll never forget. And that was a five-star experience, but you know, this time I'm sitting at home. Uh, it's after work. Uh, you know, just seeing it on my, my regular TV and kind of picking it apart more, you know, and not having that emotional impact of the first time you see it. So yeah, it, it loses some of its its luster, uh, but yeah, still a, a four star movie for me. Wow, I, I will say that that's one of the benefits, one of the many benefits of Letterbox. You can rate different viewings, mm-hmm. you know, of the movie that you've seen, different dates. You can give it different star ratings. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to de- delve any deeper into my TROS thoughts. People can find my Letterbox review, my two mm-hmm. Letterbox reviews. Got very emotional in those reviews. I think I might have gone through a midlife crisis as I wrote those reviews at various points. I remember hmm. distinctly leaving the Penn Cinema Theater that night and sitting in my Jeep just with my face in my hands <laughs> trying to come to grips with what just transpired after months of waiting and anticipation. Doesn't it feel good to be healed now after Saturday, though? <laughs> mm. You know, it was an amazing event Saturday. Thank you for that, Proto. When I joined the live stream and we both had a conversation about TROS, I hope 
people were were able to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny, what about you? What did what else uh, did you watch this week? Uh, well, I have to rectify some some wrongs that I, I committed <laughs> last week that I was reminded about uh, by my wife. Uh, well, I, one of the movies I watched last week on a Monday night. So we started a thing with our daughters, uh, Monday movie nights. So uh, mom and dad, me and Casey, get to pick the movie to watch with one of the kids. Uh, Olive has been dying to watch Jurassic Park for the first time. And so... Um, I didn't talk about this last week because I didn't think about it. But um, yeah, I got an angry DM. Yeah, you did about this. I saw that, um, and it was amazing to watch her experience Jurassic Park for the first time. She loved it. Uh, watching her hide under the covers on the specific scenes that scared the crap out of me as a kid too was really funny. Mm. Uh, that raptor scene in the kitchen is an all-time scene. Still mm. looks great. You know, it's funny. I we watched it in um, high def. I don't think it was 4K because I don't have a 4K TV, but it's funny. I always thought the the graphics held up pretty well, but even in high def, some of the CG stuff looked off now. So Whoa. I need to start watching it back on my VHS tapes. Oh. <laughs> some people might be shocked <laughs> to hear that because that's just, there's that's, a couple a, scenes. There's a couple scenes with like the CG T Rex that looked a little off on the high, in high def. So there's mm. there's flaws in the high def stuff. Wow, get out of my face. And so this Monday night was Darcy's turn and she had been wanting to watch uh, Soul Surfer, mm. the story about Brittany Hamilton getting her arm bit off surfing mm. uh, and watching her come to grips with that. And it was fine. A little cheesy. Uh, not enough shark attacking, but that was fine. <laughs> really cool shots surfing. So I liked that. Uh-huh. But other than that, it was, a, it was an okay movie. I'm not did, putting it up was, on Letterboxd. What was Darcy? <laughs> <laughs> what was Darcy's star rating of Soul yeah, Surfer? She would have given it five stars easily. <laughs> she loved it. Uh, it's that level of cheese for kids. They loved it. In the future, you maybe you will get enough shark attacks when we do Jaws. Mm, which kid which am is, I showing Jaws? <laughs> can you get the whole family together in the same uh, room when you fire up Jaws? back in the beach. <laughs> Uh, so back to my letterboxd, uh, Casey picked a movie. We watched spy for the first time, mm. uh, the comedy with, uh, Melissa McCarthy and Jude law, Jason Statham. It was silly. It was funny. I actually gave it four stars cause I was pleasantly surprised at how funny it was. Wow. Uh, and then thanks to Disney plus and their Zenimation, I rewatched treasure planet for the first time in a long time. Uh, they showed some shots in a couple of their, uh, shorts and I was just like I gotta see this again and man that movie was a treat ahead of its time with the CG and the 2D animation and had an amazing score too and I love the story I would love to actually for them to revisit it somehow uh, with a live action or I don't know something else yeah when you logged that review I think I just totally forgot about the movie I'd never seen it so I decided to fire it up one day this past week with James mm-hmm. my son and I don't know why, but he stayed in the room for the most part of that movie. I think like 99% of that movie. So we watched it together and I'd never seen it before, but I'd love to see a making of documentary just because of how they mixed Mm -hmm. in computer computer generated animation on a 2D character. Like, and I had trouble kind of like wrapping my head around it. Like this looked like such a pain in the ass to have to animate. (laughs) Yeah, it had to have been. Because that one main um, pirate, he had like CG cyber cyborg pieces in his head that mm-hmm. were CG, but the rest of him was 2D. 
Yeah. Just like my brain couldn't comprehend the amount of work mm-hmm. that went into that. There's a couple of shots <laughs> where they're running through a hall and it's the camera's following them and they're it's like the hall is CG, but the 2D animation running through it is so fluid and it just it's really impressive, actually, what that they did it so long ago. Same directors as Aladdin, mm-hmm. Moana, Princess and the Frog, and what was their other one? Little Mermaid. So wow. pretty pretty stacked team. Doing that yeah. movie, yeah, it didn't. It, didn't, it wasn't well received then, uh, and I think it got overshadowed with Atlantis stuff. Um, but um, yeah, I like Charge of Planet. It's pretty good. Perto, what's your what's, favorite Disney animated movie? Oh man, I don't think I have one ready off the top of my head. I don't know. You have to go by like eras. Yeah, mm. the two D era. This the Disney Studios area. Era. Brother Bear is it? No, Brother when Bear. I, when I stop. Don't you don't you knock well, Brother you Bear? Were, that is an underrated Disney it. movie. Brother Bear, I just remember that. that when voice you were talking trailer. about Treasure Planet, it it made me think of that era. And there's Treasure Planet, and then there's uh, Atlantis. Atlantis. And but my favorite, one of my favorite that isn't a Disney movie is uh, Prince of Egypt that came out around that time, and I oh, love wow. the music in that. Holy cow! The music cow. is amazing. What is it? It's like Whitney, Mariah Carey. Excuse me? Dude, that Deliver Us, the beginning of that movie. Are we doing Prince of Egypt for this (laughs) podcast as a bonus episode? I'm down. It's powerful. Is Pro getting excited for the second time in this podcast (laughs) history right now? (laughs) Oh, my. Holy moly. Let's do the Ten Commandments right after that. (laughs) (laughs) And Bible Month. And Passion of the Christ. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that would be amazing holy cow uh we need to get into rosemary's baby rosemary's baby is our featured presentation this week let's get into it people demand it they've been chomping at the bit on ig and twitter especially during Proto's live streams guide us please rosemary's baby is a descent into the bowels of solitude Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse have moved into an apartment in New York City's Bramford Building. Their neighbors are a nosy and peculiar bunch who make strange noises at night and can't mind their own business. The Woodhouses make a new home for themselves, and all that is left for Rosemary is to have a baby. But what strange dreams she is having, and that prenatal drink has a weird aftertaste. And those pregnancy pains she is feeling, is that normal? Rosemary thinks something is wrong. Something wrong with her neighbors, her doctor, her husband, her baby. But no one seems to be listening. Maybe everything is okay. Or maybe something beyond her imagination is happening to her. Lord have mercy. 1968, Mia Farrow. John Cassavetes. Uh, and a slew of other amazing actors. I've seen this movie. This is a movie that I've seen at a young age, maybe um, my time in college or high school, around when I was working in a video store. So I've had this movie on um, a very high list for a very long time. This is the first time I've seen it in a while, though. Um, part of you ever seen this movie before? No, this is my first time, but it's a movie I've heard about a lot. And something that 
I've wanted to see for a while. So I was so excited when we put this on the mm-hmm. list. Danny, how are you feeling getting ready to watch another horror movie? I'll bite a 1968 horror movie. What was your emotions going into this? Uh, knowing everybody's uh, thoughts on this movie, I was I was really excited to watch it. I had never seen it. Um, and then diving into all the horror that I did last year, it had been one I'd been wanting to see for a while, so I'm glad we did it. Um, I had also recently watched uh, Polanski's Chinatown, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that and the way that was directed. So uh, I was excited to watch another one of his movies for that reason. How about the... Um the font or logo mark of the original uh, movie titles and everything to start this movie. How beautiful was that stuff? Pink? The pink on the city skylines with that music going. I mean, it was, I loved it. I loved the intro so much, especially when they pan over, I guess what, what's the building called the Bramford? Is that what it was called? Mm. Just Mm -hmm. the tops of that building with the, uh, like that rust teal color on top of the spires and every little, the architecture on that top of that building, that apartment building was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. The song at the start, I just wrote it down. It sounded like a twisted nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and such a, it just totally sets the mood for the movie. And really, of course it's called Rosemary's baby. So yeah. uh, you kind of maybe know where it's leading to, but it just really sets the tone. kind of sounds like Mia too. Like I I want, I want to believe it's Mia singing that little tune. It is her. Oh, is is it? it? Yeah. I read that it was, she, she sang that. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. Imagine walking through the, the, your house at like 2am with no lights on here and that (laughs) in like the corner of your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good intro. Oh mama. Definitely sets the tone. One of the first notes that I have on this rewatch is, you know, they start out their, um, Rosemary and Guy, he's kind of like a sort of up and coming actor. He's been in a few commercials, but hasn't really hit anything big. They're looking at uh, an apartment to move into. I was so full of dread of having to potentially move into this apartment and moving all of their belongings into this small elevator, walking up these stairs. That was like more horrifying to me mm. uh, than anything in the early part of this movie. I just dread moving. And especially in like a New York City apartment. I don't know how people do it. It just it just makes my skin crawl in general. Yeah, the amount of stuff that was already in there mm-hmm. and then knowing, yeah, you have to furnish this whole place. And there's a lot of sequences early on where you see them furnishing it, like buying stuff and painting. And uh, you really see them kind of make it their own. But it, it's an amazing Oh, it's apartment. huge. Like, yeah. it's, it's like a house. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, so they're getting shown around this uh, apartment. It's gorgeous. And I, I kind of really love the the bit players in this movie. You know, like the guy showing them the apartment. Almost like a character actor in this movie. Just he's very much a separate character than anyone on screen. And I think that's one of the, my favorite things about this movie is that I feel like a lot of the other characters, like this, you know, Saperstein, the doctor, the neighbors, and pretty much anyone else almost in the cult. They're not like super over the top characters, but they're just very defined and very different than, than one another. And that was one of the things that kind of jumped out at me on this feeling. I just loved, I wanted to see more of these characters on screen. Um, just very full featured. 
very hard to do with these kind of random characters. Yeah, that is true. Even one of the the members of the cult that live in the building, uh, she has the the glasses and she's like a more full figured. And, and there's a scene where she comes over with Minnie and they sit down on their couch and she's knitting. And just the way she like moved and, and laughed was so distinct. And it felt like it gave you so much information about this character, but she's not in that many scenes, mm -hmm. but it gave her a lot of depth. And it's like that with most of the characters in this movie. Yeah. It's really well written. There was another scene that I wrote down where they're having dinner in the empty apartment. And this scene cracked me up, but let's hey, make that. And it was like one of the most unromantic <laughs> requests to have intercourse with your wife. And I wrote in my notes, is like, is this how people had sex in 1968? Like, <laughs> that's so weird. And there's like a, a minute long scene of them just undressing fast. And then it goes to the next scene. Oh, man. Speaking of character, uh, character when they're uh, painting the their house the white color, one of my notes is, why is this guy painting like that? Because he had like this giant brush and he's just like, <laughs> he's going so fast. Painting the wall so fast. He's got paint on his face splattering. I was just like, what is he doing? You don't paint like this. How about even the wallpaper? They're wallpapering the other walls too. Oh. What a lost art that is now. Do you have wallpaper in your home? No, I don't, but I heard that's coming back actually. Really? They're doing the whole Casey wallpaper just asked again. me to wallpaper in his area <laughs> in our kitchen. What? I didn't know yeah. this was coming back. Yeah, believe it. You guys are going to be done wallpaper in that wall. You're going to be eating leftover pizza on the floor and you're going to be like, hey, let's make love. I would, uh, and then you're slow. <laughs> you're going to dress for two minutes. A turtle straight. on my back trying to get my jeans off <laughs> like I'm flipped over on my shell. Well, it is 1968, right? They don't have much else to do. It's like they don't have their they're not going to be scrolling through Instagram. Yeah, they're not true. flipping on the TV. Yeah, yeah you eat dinner. You just... <laughs> Just go at it. They they talk about how their uh, the the apartment was converted. I think it was a larger where they put up a wall that wasn't there before, so they can kind of hear their neighbors um, pretty distinctly. Like if I was yeah. paying that much money for that kind of size apartment, I mean, I have no idea what they're paying, but I'd be pretty PO'd if I could hear my neighbors that clearly. And their neighbors are the Castavets. This older couple. They have a young gal that they've taken under their wing who. I think was like a drug addict, uh, vagrant. And so uh, Rosemary meets her in the laundry room. They're, they're chatting. They, she seems pretty normal. And then the next thing she knows, like later that night or the next day, that young girl killed herself and jumped out the window and, and she left a suicide note. And the cast of vets, the older couple walk up and they all kind of see this and they're like, sh quote, shocked that she would do this. And that opens the door up for them to take Rosemary under their wing. So she, they start knocking on her door. They start like inviting them over for meals. Um, and at first you just think they're kind of like annoying neighbors, just like super annoying older neighbors, like seniors. Um, but eventually it starts to unfurl this bigger picture. Um, what did you guys think of the, the elderly neighbors that eventually were revealed to have been in this um, darker sect? I found the wife quite annoying, actually. Uh <laughs> To the point where I, I just, uh, she just got under my skin a bit. And I think it, maybe it worked <clears throat> for her character. Mm. Uh, but uh, it was very apparent uh, when she first sees the body of the girl that jumped out of the window that uh, 
she doesn't care. You folks, the cast of vets on the seventh floor? We are. You have a young woman named Teresa Gianofrio living with you? We do. What's wrong? Has there been an accident? You'd better brace yourself with some bad news. She's dead. Jumped out of the window. That's not possible. That's a mistake. Artie, you want to let these folks take a look, please? I knew this would happen. She got deeply depressed every three weeks or so. I told my wife about it, but she poo-pooed me. Well, it doesn't mean she killed herself. She's a very happy girl with no reason for self-destruction. She must have been cleaning the windows or something. She wasn't cleaning windows at midnight. Why not? Maybe she was. Is that her handwriting? Definitely, absolutely. She's kind of shocked. But I felt I never felt like instantly, you know, like, oh, something's up because they're not acting like this person that they have taken off the streets and helped get back to, on their feet. And she jumped out a window and it's like, well, nah, it can't be true. She was washing the windows at midnight or something <laughs> like right. it was very weird the way that she reacted to the suicide. So I had a feeling then that something was up with them. Um, but yeah, she got she annoyed me. I like the dad a lot or the husband. Roman. Yeah, he's really creepy, like super creepy. And I like how he carried himself in this movie. Minnie is pretty annoying in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but she had some great lines. And just the way she would say things. Come over and have supper with us. What do you say? <laughs> and then when they're at dinner and they're having dessert, the way she was eating that cake. Oh, my God. As if she had like 10 seconds to eat the whole slice, just downing it. Mm. Amazing. I took a few screenshots of that. <laughs> amazing moment. Um, but so with, so they don't really explain it why she commits suicide, but after watching the whole movie, I assume that they were grooming her to bear the baby as well. But then when Rosemary came along, they shifted gears and then had her commit suicide by doing the thing they do with like, you know, forcing people to end their lives. Amanda, is that Amanda asked me that same question when we're done, but there's a a scene that Rosemary has a dream, very odd Mm -hmm. dream sequence with the nuns Mm -hmm. and the nuns are speaking to her. I think one of the nuns says we never should have told her our plan or we never should have brought her into the fold, something along those lines. And I, and I feel like that was Minnie. Is it Minnie or Winnie? I think it's Minnie. Minnie. I think that was Minnie talking and she was hearing her through the walls yes. and that came into her dream. So uh, I, and he was I, uh, bricking up the windows. Mm, yeah. I, I gathered that she got wind of the plan and she didn't want, she didn't want any part of it. Um, at least mm. that's my interpretation. And that's what I assume what happens with the person in their apartment that they take over the apartment for, because there's that note where it, she just writes down, I can no longer associate myself. Yeah. And I'm assuming that maybe she's trying to leave the, the cult mm-hmm. and then they, they have her kill or yeah. have her die yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and for anyone that hasn't seen it, the Castavets are, uh, you don't know this at the time, but they are slowly grooming Rosemary to bear Satan's child. And it slowly starts with, they get invited for dinner with the Castavets and they're kind of like, Oh God, I don't want to have dinner with these neighbors. Like I also would be in the same spot. Like I don't have dinner with you. I'm just going to stay in my apartment. But Guy finds out that, you know, allegedly Roman is connected kind of in the acting world or he has many connections that could potentially help him. 
or at least that's what he tells Guy at the onset of this dinner. So he starts to be more interested in hanging out with them, which is against what Rosemary is into. So she would rather stay home. Um, and eventually, over time, you know, Guy starts to become more friendly with them. And then he says in, an, in another scene that's just so very dry, you know, let's have a baby. He said it like, I think he came home from work. Today. He's like, let's have a baby. And she's stoked. She, that's like the one thing she's wanted. She finally gets it. Um, so she's like, you know, over the moon about this. And one night they get drunk. They plan to kind of do it. You know, as you do in 1968, you make a plan. We're going to have sex after dinner. It's going to be amazing. Baby night. <laughs> Baby night. And she gets a little too drunk. Um, she she gets pissed because the neighbor knocks on the door. She's like, oh, God, these dumb neighbors are going to ruin everything. But they're only dropping off like some mocha frappuccinos for you. Um, the moose. The chocolate moose, which essentially drugs Rosemary. And she passes out on the couch and she has this pseudo dream where she sees, you know, like 15 older people in her apartment that are fully nude and someone is like encroaching on her naked body over the bed. And it's like this creature um, mm-hmm. with like dark red eyes or whatever. And she sees Guy there also. It's like this weird dream sequence. And during this entire time, the character is like, she's awake. She sees us. And they're like, no, 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 she's, she's out of it. Um, what did you guys think of that scene? 1968, this happens. I mean, the whole dream sequence is amazing. It's maybe five minutes long. Long. Uh, it's very long and it starts also with her being on a ship there's there's very like surreal elements to it that make it feel very much like a dream where it is i guess you could say she's dreaming but also seeing what's actually happening at the same time and they're mm-hmm. intertwined uh and it, it, it's done so well i actually went back and watched that scene because it's it's really the pivotal moment in the movie uh and it, it's it's just so compelling um, just how it's shot and just how it feels disorienting in the, in the way that dreams are. So uh, I, I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like um, <clears throat> the surrealness was her dream sequence, but I feel like the people around her was actually happening. I feel like they came in mm-hmm. like they kind of do at the end of the movie. I feel like they were around her while she was passed out. And when uh, John or guy, whatever his name was, uh, actually rapes her or whatever. I feel like that's actually happening, but she's seeing it different in her dream. So I feel like they are there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's probably accurate. They're all in there buck naked watching John. I don't know if they were naked, but (laughs) I like to think they were. Well, then also at the, at the beginning they do the, who's talking about it. Oh, I think they see, they have a meeting with their friend Hutch early on and he describes mm-hmm. things that went on at the Bramford. And one thing that he says is that the one guy who was like uh, in charge of the, or like chased out of the building for being a Satanist had managed to summon Satan in the basement. So I assume that like, that's where they went. They went to the basement of the building, mm. uh, the same place. Interesting. Hmm. I didn't even catch that. She wakes up the next morning after this happens, really drowsy, and she realizes that she has scratch marks on her back in the same places that this creature, you know, scratched her as it was forcing itself on her. And Guy is like, oh, yeah, you know, that was me. I got a little rough last night. You were drunk, but I felt like it was the right time. 
How unsettling was that conversation? Rosemary is essentially told that her husband has raped her and he just passes it off as like, you know what? It happened. One of the creepiest lines I've ever heard in my life. He says, and it was kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way. What? Yeah, I wanted I to crawl into my skin when he said that. Oh my God. Right after he said he cut his fingernails, just when he, after he realized he scratched her so much. <laughs> that scene, and I mean, it speaks to, you could say the whole movie really speaks to the era about how like not in control she was at all during this entire process. But man, that scene is repulsive. Just totally repulsive. His entire demeanor and explanation as to what he wants her to think happened, that it was him and not Satan having sex with her against her will. Um, what I really liked around the second viewing is it had been so long that I couldn't remember if there was really, for the majority of the movie, it's played off that like, maybe she is dreaming. Maybe she is just not there. Like this could be all in her head and she's having like an episode. Like his explanations, guys, explanations kind of make a little bit of sense. Like he got lucky with some of his acting gigs because this dude went blind you know, that happens. Sure. Mysteriously guy goes blind. He got more acting gigs and the new, her new doctor that she was talked into doing says the stomach pain she's having is normal. Don't worry. I liked that part where like she is struggling with whether or not it's real, because if you think you've been assaulted by Satan, like how do you share that information with people? Like you're going to be looked at like a crazy person, no matter how you shake it. So then later it kind of gets busted open where she has a party with some of her of age friends that she just hasn't seen since they moved in this apartment, her girlfriends. And they're like, man, you are really thin. Cause they haven't seen her in, I don't know, like at this point, at least a couple months or a year. And she tells them that she's been having these crazy stomach pains for like months. And they all freak out that like, this is not normal. You having this stomach pain. And they like lock the door to have this conversation with her. They lock guy out. Mm-hmm. So he can't be a part of it. I thought that was an amazing scene, that whole thing. Right after Vidal Sassoon butchered her hair. <laughs> oh, How about everyone crapping on her haircut? It I thought she, she looks amazing. So hard. Oh, God. Yeah. God's, a guy says, the worst mistake you ever, ever made. Ever made. <laughs> Maybe not the thing to say to your wife. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, yeah, that that is an amazing scene. That is really like the one moment where she has somebody... Uh, some women on totally on her side and who are there to help her. Cause really, well, I guess there's also Hutch who's trying to help, but at this point I think he's in a coma and no longer in the picture. <laughs> yeah. <poor> but, Hutch. <laughs> yeah th- th- there's, there's no one else in her life that can help her. She is totally alone. She's trapped in this with her husband and these neighbors. Uh, and it's really terrifying. Uh, and you said, you know, this is your rewatch. All of these things, even thinking about guy, uh, and just knowing that, uh, just going back to him having this, this conversation with Roman, cause there's a moment where, she, uh, uh, a Rosemary's in the kitchen with Minnie and they're doing the dishes and then she comes out and Roman, uh, guy's very engaged with this conversation. And after you watch the whole movie, you think like, oh, maybe he's telling him that like he can help him here. And then he goes another night and has another meeting and you're thinking, oh, Maybe he was like, because at some point he introduces the idea that if you let us impregnate your wife with Satan's, you know, child, we'll give you everything you want. And then he goes for it. So that happened mm-hmm. at some point where he, mm-hmm. where he's on their team. And it's just, it's so terrifying to think that this husband was on 
you know, on their side and really deceiving his wife through the whole movie. Hutch eventually, you mentioned Hutch. He does kind of do some research on Roman, the neighbor, um, because he meets, oh my God, that scene where Hutch meets Roman. Do you, I'm not sure if you took note of it, mm. but Roman walks in when she's having a, a like visit with Hutch. She invites Roman to come in and sit down. They both sit across from each other the first time they met. Roman does not take his eyes off Hutch the entire two-minute shot. Oh my God, it was so amazing. He just stares at him the whole time because he can almost like sense that Hutch is going to be a problem. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. buy any of this. We need to deal with him. Oh my God, what an amazing scene that was. Yeah, he was on to him. And Hutch, right before he dies, he sends a book of witchcraft that he, you know, I think he he saw Roman before or he eventually did some research after meeting Roman and finds that Roman's like grandfather or whatever was in this book and was a Satanist into witchcraft. And he sends this book to her, which kind of, you know, pushes her along the path of potentially thinking it's all real. Yeah, I like all the little... Uh, especially with that book when he gives them, because she has to do the the anagram. But when she flips through it, you see the um, the drawing of what I, what I think it was his father, because I think he's photographed in there as a thirteen year old. Oh yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And she says he has his eyes or whatever. But the the sketch of his father with his arm up uh, is also in her dream sequence as the actual guy posing for the photo. Mm. And then it's mm-hmm. also the painting above the mantle at the end. Uh, which I love the little, the like breadcrumbs, like you can piece so much to this movie. Like when she first enters that dream sequence, it's got the burning church. And then when she enters, when she first enters their apartment through the cupboard or the hall closet, the painting on the right is the burning church. That's the first thing she sees as well. So there's a, I, um, so much I love about this, the little tidbits. That, that first meeting with them too, she even makes a note that like, did you notice that like there was, Pictures missing from the walls. And yeah, exactly. painting is just not hanging anymore. Do you think anything of that guy? And he's like, nah, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my notes about this in the way things are slowly uncovered, because as you get further into the movie, uh, Rosemary starts catching on to things and she starts sus- suspecting people one after another. And I thought of this as kind of like an inverted detective story where uh, you have, instead of not knowing who the criminal is. You like know the, the viewer knows who it is off the bat. Uh, and the victim is actually the detective Mm. and Mm. it's not one person. It's everybody else in is in on it except for them. Yeah. So like she's slowly piecing it together and the crime, well, I guess the crime happens early on where she's like raped by Satan, but also she doesn't really discover that until the end. And the fact that everyone else in her life is in on it, except for her. Mm. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Her uncovering Dr. Saperstein, her new doctor, she realizes he's actually in on it too, because he has that same kind of like scent that the Castavets uh, gave her and that charm. So she runs out into traffic to try to get a hold of her original doctor. And I was on the wiki earlier that that scene where she runs out into New York traffic, like in between the cars, they said that that was like a real scene that they actually just had her go into traffic and Polanski was a, had like a, a steady cam or whatever and ran into traffic with her. He's like, Holy cow. you have a bump, you have a pregnancy bump. No one's going to hit you. Like, let's just run and quick do this. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's wow. insane. 
Oh my gosh. She goes to find her original doctor. He sees her. Also that phone booth scene is intense. That whole long take. And during the process of her talking to a doctor, someone walks behind her in the booth. Mm -hmm. And you think that that's like Roman, but it just turns out to be a random dude. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. what a shot that was. So good. And then her original doctor gives her up. He calls Saperstein and her husband. She thinks she's going to be saved, but. Yeah, at that point, you know, it's over. It's, you know, because he's the one guy outside of all this that could help her. He has Mm -hmm. some kind of authority. She's in the safety of his office. And you know that when he leads her to the room and then says it'll be 30 minutes and locks the door on the way out. And you're just like, no, like just sense of dread that man, he's, you know, she's not getting any of the help she needs. And she was so happy too. When she like laid down, she's like, oh God, it's over. All this, Mm -hmm. all this is finished. God, so it's terrible. Yeah, and then when she sees the doctor and her husband come in, she doesn't even put up any kind of fight. It's like she's so shocked that she is now back, mm-hmm. uh, like captured by them, that she she like just gives up. There, there, there's nothing that she can do at this point. Mm-hmm. It's so sad to see. She eventually ha- goes through labor. They tell her, or Guy and Saperstein say that the, the baby died. You know, we can try again in the future. So she's like distraught at this and also doesn't believe it. So she find, she eventually goes around to where that secretary was in that closet, across in the closet, and decides to go through this time. She like finds this doorway that was there. She goes through. And she sees all these people celebrating, drinking champagne and wine around this black crib with, you know, black satin or whatever. And she grabs a knife and she just freaks the f out. This is this is one of my like all time favorite movies or one of my all time favorite scenes, where they reveal to her. What have you done to him, you maniac? Satan is his father, not Guy. He came up from hell and begat a son of mortal woman. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Satan is his father. And his name is Adrian. He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and the tortured. Hail Adrian! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! He chose you out of all the world, out of all the women, the whole world. He chose you. He arranged things because he wanted you to be the mother of his only living son. His power is stronger than stronger. His might shall last longer than longer. Satan! I mean, this scene. This scene is crazy. Like, they all reveal that it was a it was a scam. Like, you just you had sex with Satan, Rosemary. We did this, mm. and you you're his mother. She oh, and then she goes over to the crib to look, and they don't even show the baby. They just show her reaction, which is an amazing shot. Um, mm. And they they don't even like really do anything to harm her at this point. They're like, you're more than welcome to fa- to mother this child. This this child needs a mother. And that's you. Mm-hmm. They don't like oh, yeah, try to kill her or anything. They just let her roam free in this room. And then they they allude to that, like, hey, this baby's going to need uh, someone to nurse it, and uh, our other members are a little too old. So what do you what do you say, Rosemary? You want to nurse uh, the Antichrist? <laughs> mm. Yeah, her the shot of her seeing the the baby is is probably the best shot of her in the movie. Her reaction to seeing his eyes. Uh, 
I love, I just, yeah, she's carrying that thin line, that knife too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so great. That's I actually love the scene before that when she's getting the knife and she's kind of tiptoeing through her apartment and it's kind of dark-ish and she's got that flowing uh, nightgown on mm-hmm. and, and guy comes in to get what looks like an ice bucket, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but she's hiding in that darkness where it's just the shot of the light coming on and hitting her in the face. And the lead up to that scene was great too. It's just, it's just so, such a crazy way to end the movie with her being put in just an even more untenable position. Like we took what you wanted, but you're more than welcome to be the mother of, of Satan's child. If you want, <laughs> she is like forced to make that decision. And then, does because that lady that you mentioned earlier with the glasses is like rocking the oh baby so fast and she's like she even tells her like you're doing it too fast stop and they welcome her over to then rock the baby's crib herself and then the music hits again the oh. like crazy lullaby music and then that's the end of the movie Rose gosh baby. that slow pan to her face when she's like <clears throat> slowly deciding to mother the child la Satan. la 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 also, she sticks her tongue out at her when she walks by her table. Oh, that was rocking. hilarious. I want to yeah, smack yeah. her so hard. <laughs> uh, what about the scene where, um, did you make note of the scene where she cooks that steak for like two oh. seconds and then eats it? Eats what, it was going, raw. what was going on there? Is that safe? And then she eats the the innards of that turkey. Oh, and yeah. she sees herself in the side of the toaster. Her diet was very oh, strange in this movie. I think that's like hinting at, you know, in pregnancy, women have can have crazy cravings, but this is like, well, you're having you have <laughs> Satan's child, so you're gonna want That's raw true. meat. That's true. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I didn't say it outright, but man, Mia Farrow in this is amazing. Yeah, she is just so good, uh, and you just love her. She's so adorable. Uh, her costumes are amazing as well. She's she has this amazing plaid skirt early on. Mm. Just looked so good. Uh, this movie has so much style to it as well. The every set, uh, like their apartment's amazing. That whole building is amazing. But I even made note of Hutch's office where she goes to meet him, or she goes to pick up the book mm-hmm. there. Or there's something that happens at his office. I can't remember. I think maybe she goes there. Um, but his office is amazing. Just like there's so much just detail. It feels so lived in. Um, yeah, that, that aspect of the movie I, I, I loved. Yeah. One of my notes with the design of the movie was there was so much yellow used, and I was trying to see why, like I didn't look it up yet, but every, there's so much yellow, her bedspread, her dresses, the wall colorings, the dress that she packs in the suitcase is a yellow dress. Like, I don't know if there was something to that, that I was missing, uh, but there's so much yellow and all the yellow is like her choice. Uh, for a lot of the stuff. So I was trying to figure that out as well. Any other scenes that you had in your notes before we, um, why, how many times does John slap Mia's ass in this movie? <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> He's always hitting her ass. Uh, what's with all the yellow. And then his line, let's have a baby. Let's have three, one at a time. <laughs> I was so <laughs> bothered by that line. <laughs> was that before, or yeah, after the a, saint when he joined the cult, you think? Was that like a cult request? Let's have three babies, three saint babies? Mm, I don't know. How many saint babies Also, have? every scene with the needle was unsettling. Mm. Where they stuck it in her arm. Mm-hmm. Almost looked real, actually. 
Hutch. I love the the anagram scene as well as well where she's trying to figure it out. Um, there was like a lot of tension because I kept thinking that someone was going to come in to the room while she was figuring that out. So I kept waiting for like Roman to appear or Guy to come back and see that she was doing this. And just the way that, you know, it goes on for a while where she thinks it's the title that is the anagram. Um, mm. Oh, I think what's the book? Uh, All, All of, of them, them witches. witches. Yeah. She thinks that's the anagram. And then she kind of gives up. She takes like four or five attempts and then she thinks, Oh, it's his name. And she realizes that it spells out to the guy who was previously or the, the name of the son of the guy who owned or was in the building before the Satanist. And she, and that's where she kind of puts it together. But there's, there's like a, a like a, a big, um, almost like release in that moment, but just also like very scary. And it's just her kind of, it's almost scary that she figured it out in that moment that of who Roman was. And it, mm-hmm. and it scared me watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do I love, love that, that scene. I do because the the assistant of Hutch says the name is an anagram, and so she keeps thinking the title of the book is what she's playing at. And I love that the book is called All of Them Witches or all yeah, all of them witches because it's true. Because it's like that's exactly mm-hmm. right. They're all witches, mm-hmm. but that's not what she has to solve. Uh, it's like in her face, but it's yeah. I like that. There was a there was a few lines in the book that talked about. I can't remember. I didn't write it down, but it talks about like mental I'm not sure if you made note of it it was like mental powers but like using the strength of a coven's thoughts mm-hmm. to force someone to do something I, I I love just reading those sentences like it just sounded very strange and mysterious and you know evil just like seeing it in that book I thought it was pretty cool that was another element of this that was really cool was just is how they would affect people and they do they do it to three or four characters in the movie where they get an item from them and then they can force them to become ill in some way or when uh rosemary has that phone conversation with the actor that goes blind Mm -hmm. and she kind of she fishes for information and like her worst fear comes true and that's how she figures out that guy uh, is involved in it because she's like, did you, you left something with him, right? And she doesn't know this, but she says that and he's like, oh yeah, we swapped ties. And then you just see it like the color drain from her face. And she's like, oh my God, guys in on it. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing scene. I also read on the wiki too, that the actor that played that character over the phone was t- Tony Curtis. And um, Mia didn't know who was going to be on the other side of that phone call. So her, reaction and like mannerisms during that phone call of like maybe knowing who this person is was genuine. And apparently that was just all a real shot. Mm. Pretty cool. Interesting. All right, Proto, what's your, what's your overall vibe? Rosemary's baby horror movie. You set the stage earlier in the show about how you feel sometimes unsettled. Let's hear it. Uh, well for me, this is my kind of horror movie cause it's more, leaning towards the psychological thriller aspect of it as well. Uh, so I really love this. I enjoyed it the whole way through. Um, it was so fun. It's so well written. I want to read the book now as well. I think I read that. I think this, this was made the year after the book came out. So it was like a really quick turnaround. I think that's what I read, uh, which seems crazy mm-hmm. that you would make a, a movie about a book. Uh, a year later. Um, 
But I love this. And one thing I, I loved about it, we didn't really hit on it too much is just like the, the, the feminist aspect of this, of how really, uh, you know, uh, Rosemary is con- attempted to be controlled by her husband and other characters throughout this whole movie. And she doesn't have much autonomy and it's kind of her fighting for that through this whole movie. And I think that's what makes the one scene so powerful as well as when she's with her younger friends locked in the kitchen and they're the only ones who are really giving her good advice. Uh, and she try and she almost does what she needs to do with getting a different doctor, but then the pains go away and that kind of, uh, sets her on a different path. Um, but there's, uh, in a lot of ways, this feels like a really, uh, a great feminist critique of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I love that aspect of it. I feel like this movie would be amazing on a rewatch because even as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, so many scenes have so much more weight now. And I think, uh, meaning that it's, a, it's a very rewatchable movie. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, I give it four stars. Mm, my goodness. Wow. Danny, light on us. Mm. So yeah, the going into last year with all the horror rewatching I was doing, I said in the beginning that this was on the list. Uh, and I saw all the f- reviews of friends and stuff on letterbox so high four and five stars. So I was very excited uh, to get into this. Uh, my first watch was first watch was a few days ago. Uh, went in expecting a horror movie, and I was actually very bored. Uh, and I didn't. I feel like I didn't get. I didn't get it. Like I wasn't. I wasn't understanding why this was such a revered movie. Um, it's on so many lists as one of the best horror movies of all time. So I, I expected something scarier. I think, or omen level uh, horror. Uh, so then I gave it a second rewatch going at it from the aspect of more of a suspenseful thriller, knowing what's to come, knowing that there's more in the backgrounds to be looking for. Um, and I think the second time it, it, I liked it a lot more knowing what to expect with it. Um, there's some great, there's some excellent, uh, scenes that are the lighting in it is quite perfect. Uh, some shots of her in the apartment. Um, but, Ultimately, uh, this kind of falls flat for me uh, as a as a horror movie, um, as a suspenseful movie. I like bits of it, but I can't give it more than three stars. Is this because of my Hamilton comment from earlier in the show? <laughs> it has Listen, to be. I take everything into consideration. <laughs> what was the point. rating before your second <laughs> viewing? Two stars? It was, it was barely two stars. <gasps> oh my God. I'm sorry. It's I, okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. And maybe another watch. <laughs> I do. I honestly think what Proto said is right. This probably deserves multiple watches, especially when you talk about that dream sequence scene. There's mm. so much in that that's being thrown at you that I feel like could tell more of the story. I there's just I don't know. Danny, you never have to apologize to me on this podcast. I'm not apologizing. You never, you never have to do that. Stop. Apologize right now. now. <laughs> It's okay. I, it's I appreciate it's, three your stars candor. is good. I did not right. hate three it. Three stars is I fine. I didn't hate it. It's fine. Um, Mia's amazing in it. I Vision. thought Cassavetes sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, he annoyed I, me the most out of this on the whole movie. My original rating on Letterboxd. So this is one of those movies that I had a rating for originally, and it was five stars when I rated it before. Mm-hmm. And then when I rewatched it, 
I thought I removed that rating just so I didn't want to like tip my hat too much, but it didn't work. So Danny, when we're playing no, Apex the other night, and he's like, oh, I saw your five-star rating on Raspberry's Baby. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? So I, I screwed up. I didn't remove it in time. However, this still is a five-star movie for me. Um, mm. I think I've said on previous episodes, I love this era of filmmaking, you know, in New York City, slow boil. I think those are very hard to do now to in today's filmmaking, but this is two hour plus movie. A lot of conversations, just real genuine interactions between people and lovers and neighbors and the sense of dread that slowly festers over time. And the reveal is just magic for me. Um, it still is a perfect movie for me. I love the ending scene so much when they're celebrating the birth of that child. It's just so trippy. And this movie is in a lot of modern day, you know, devil related heart movies. I'm, I'm not going to say what movies modern day that take a lot of this stuff because I totally forgot a lot of these scenes are almost like totally copied in movies that I love that have come out recently. Um, so this set the stage for, you know, the modern slow boil horror in many ways. And I mean, even when I watched um, Mother for the first time this past year, and I was like, why does a lot of this seem very familiar to me? But yeah, five-star movie for me, Rosemary's Baby. It is on one of the top horror film lists, but Danny's, I think, right in that it's not a jump scare horror movie. This is kind of one of those oh, psychological boils um, mm-hmm. over time. So I was getting Midsummer vibes too, mm. a lot, especially in the dream sequence. Almost an exact scene uh, from Midsummer. Yeah, I think that director... I have no, Sorry. I have no idea to back this up, but I feel like he's been inspired by Rosemary's Baby a lot. I could see that how it can be inspiring. A lot of great shots in this movie. Okay, okay. There you have it. Next week, next week's Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Just going to reiterate mm-hmm. next week. It could be, it could be a four hour episode at this point. <laughs> we might have to do two parter. <laughs> Double VHS. <laughs> we're as of this timestamp, we're at an hour ten minutes. Who knows where it actually is going to be when we cut things down? But we got to get into some voicemails. 267-409-6983. Or if you want to write us a letter or send an audio file, you can do so at 70mmpod at gmail.com. And we got a letter, actually. Speak of the devil. Well, not the devil. Um, <laughs> Please don't. We got an email from John. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's not a reference to John. I don't know John, but I just making a connection. Please do Independence Day for your podcast around 4th of July. I will tell you anything you want to know about Danny. Nervous <laughs> emoji. That's a great John idea. Is, John's my BFF forever since fifth grade. So I, I, he, he knows a lot. Can you imagine, Proto, will you tell us right now on this episode <laughs> that you will do an Independence Day bonus episode for the 4th of July? As I've said in the past, I don't get to pick the movies that we do. I just watch them. We so we need um, to if we're watching one of maybe Will Smith's best performance. Oh, wow! Oh, I'm in. You're in. Okay. Awesome. I think we need to we need to get together in 70 mm HQ VHS Village offices, um, and we need to get Proto to present us an, an updated spreadsheet of his movies that he's added to that list of his picks. I think he's finished the Herzog library. I don't know if there's any Herzog movies left, but we need to, we need to look at what Proto wants to do on this podcast (laughs) before this gets any, before this gets any deeper.
this conspiracy. I mean, is that the biggest? Is Independence Day the biggest movie Fourth of July time? movie out there? There's Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> We're not allowed to do that. That <laughs> <laughs> was gonna. Say. Backstory: I do a podcast about the retrospective filmography of Tom Cruise. It's called Interview with the Podcast Vampire. And if I were to do a Tom Cruise movie on this podcast, I would get deleted out of my own Slack. From, from Brother, do we have people. to do a uh, special? Just the two of us. If you wanted to, to do, do a, a bonus Tom episode, the two, two of you. Of us. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> I'll be out on assignment that episode. <laughs> All right, let's. Someone's got to edit it, though. Yeah, <laughs> Proto, fire up those YouTube tutorials on uh, logic editing. Uh, all right, next email coming in hot. We got a few of them. Hello, seventy millimeter community. This is Mikey P. Just wanted to say how grateful I was that I was mentioned by name on your fine broadcast. But I just wanted to bring up something about this movie that I'm somehow attached to. I wasn't upset with Danny with his rating of this movie rocky it was my my problem was the rating he gave it before he watched the movie calling it trash wow and daniel we should never call something trash before we experience it like Mm. my kids who they say they they're not going to like something for dinner and i still make them try it before they say they don't like it i would think as a father of 13 kids yourself you would (laughs) feel the same way (laughs) when you say something is trash before knowing it i got to quote proto's wife channing tatum vibes whatever that means (laughs) but you know it got me to thinking what are the movies that you have judged beforehand didn't think you would like it but i ended up liking it for me like solo i kept hearing bad things i wasn't sure how i felt about what i saw in the trailer i saw this movie I enjoyed it. I've watched it two or three times since then. It's enjoyable. It caught me by surprise. So, Daniel, on behalf of myself, I just wanted to say you're welcome for helping you become a better moviegoer and person. Mm. Also, Wedding Singer is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, bye. Thank you for your bravery, Michael. I don't have a rebuttal to that. I'm sorry, Mikey. Maybe the voice. And I'm not allowed to apologize on this podcast, but I am sorry to Michael. I mean, I I don't know if I have a movie that I judge more beforehand than I guess Rocky. Maybe we should listen to these messages beforehand. Prado, any comments on um, Mikey P's thoughts on Wedding Singer specifically? I got to watch that. I I haven't seen it. I have no feelings towards that. It might be my favorite Adam Sandler movie. (laughs) Just give it a chance. That's the one you do with Matt alone. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the call, Mikey P. Uh, we have another hot one coming in here. What is up, 70 millimeter podcast? It's Andy from Orlando. And uh, I just wanted to call in. Um, I know you guys are reviewing Rosemary's Baby uh, this week. And so I watched it. And uh, you have to know ahead of time A, I'm not the biggest fan of horror movies. And B, <laughs> uh, regardless of the genre, I like my movies to have a happy ending. And so, um, I, uh, again, this movie was, it was good. Uh, I gave it three stars on Letterboxd and, uh, uh, I thought it was good, but the way it ended was rough. (laughs) I did not enjoy it. Um, it reminded me of, uh, Hereditary. Um, Mm. and then it also reminded me a little bit of Get Out with just, you know, this, this sense of not being able to trust, 
um, everyone in the film and um, our main character uh, being the victim. And so it, it definitely had vibes of Get Out. Um, if anything, those two films were probably inspired by uh, Rosemary's Baby. And so uh, I can appreciate it for that. Uh, but yeah, um, overall, uh, it was a uh, it was a good film. I, I probably won't watch it again, but, uh, you know, I know it's a pretty, uh, pretty historical, important horror movie. And so I'm, I'm glad I watched it. So I just uh, can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts on the film and uh, looking forward to all the episodes that are coming out. Super pumped. And uh, again, thank you guys for doing this podcast. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Andy only liking happy endings is starting to really shed some light on his feelings towards Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you may not like movies ending on a down note, but think about this. Rosemary's Baby, no matter how you slice it, being the mother of Satan's child is kind of a big deal. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of a down note, but it's kind of like an up note, too. Like, it's like, oh, disappointing, but also, I mean, she seemed kind of happy at the end. So, <laughs> just my interpretation. Did Andy and Danny collude before this episode was, was recorded? Do you think they were exchanging DMs on IG? Before this mm, took place, I can say I got a screenshot of Andy's letterbox rating in a DM. No, almost no comments. He just sent me the, the the rating. Oh my! Right away. Did he send it just to you? That's what we need to that's know. That's a real. That's a real good question. That's a real good question. Can't speak for him. Uh, Andy's talked about her upcoming slate of movies. Just to remind the villagers, after Batman, Brendan Frazier's The Mummy. We're trying real hard Ooh. to get in touch with his people. Real hard. If you are on Twitter, if you're on IG and you want to at him with a link to our show telling him about this campaign, please do so. We want to we want to reach out, we want to connect. Jaws after that. Mm. Are you kidding me? We got a special we got something special cooked up for that episode. Don't you don't you worry about it. Someone at Richard Dreyfus, please. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the 70 millimeter podcast. Yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> Uh, we got another voicemail coming up. What is up, 70MM? This is Ian, long-time listener, first-time caller, and I just want to start off this voicemail. I acknowledge I was a little aggressive in my last voicemail um, <laughs> about Phantom Thread and Daniel Day-Lewis and how incorrect Slim was uh, in his interpretation of Daniel Day-Lewis's acting performance in Phantom Thread. Um, but you know, I don't, I can bear the hatchet. I'm fine. Slim and I discussed privately. We uh, were over <laughs> it. So I do want to apologize to the VHS villagers, uh, the loyal fan base of this amazing podcast for, for what I did. However, however, Uh-oh. last week there was some comments made about, uh, Adam Sandler's masterpiece, the wedding singer. <laughs> oh, God. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll uh. keep my thoughts brief, but there are some people who are idiots on this podcast and some who are not. Anyway, uh, on to Rosemary's Baby. Fun fact, in 2008, Rosemary's Baby was almost remade. Uh, Ooh, and who my. was leading this remake? None other than Michael Bay. So I'd love what? to hear what? you guys with theorycraft about a Michael Bay version uh, in 2008 of Rosemary's Baby. Who would be starring in it what would the big action set piece be? All that sorts of stuff. Love you guys, except for the people who don't like what I see here. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
wonder if I'll get a uh, apology voicemail next week. <laughs> Definitely Scar Joe as Rosemary because he has a relationship with her. They did uh, the island together. <laughs> Megan, maybe Megan Fox will throw herself off the building in the beginning. About Mark Wahlberg as Rosemary. <laughs> Bumblebee. <laughs> the the action set piece is probably the baby that Satan baby flying out of the oh. nethers. Uh, the action sequences that he would have. Wow. Mm. That guy going blind. Probably be Paul a huge Rudd set piece. guy. <laughs> That's actually not that bad. <laughs> I can see that. There'd be an amazing knife knife fight at the end where she would actually kill everybody in that room. Or she would just knife fight the baby. The baby would pop would out. Like, <laughs> like, see the baby. Know, scaled hand oh, yeah. coming out of the crib. Michael Bay showing us that baby. Oh my God. Michael, call Michael, if you want to come on for our The Mummy episode, we need to start a campaign to get Michael Bay on this podcast. Ian, no, 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 we don't. <laughs> Ian, former producer. Have you ever looked at his IG, Michael Bay's IG? It's a hoot. Oh God. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you want to load that up on incognito mode so that your IG Explorer doesn't get all Michael Bayed up. But uh, Ian, former producer of this show, he has now moved on to his next gig. We wished him well on his future endeavors. He is hosting that sh- the movies that changed my life podcast for IMDb. Uh, Kevin Smith was just his guest recently. So I think he's, we were hoping he would land on solid ground after he left us. So it seems that that's the case. And everybody who touches 70 millimeter, just go on to amazing things. Yeah. We're really, what we can do. Really happy with how things are turning out for everyone. That's why we got to get Brendan on here. (laughs) Can you imagine if we got Brendan on this podcast? I would send him a mic if he was coming on. I believe in the villagers. I would overnight a USB mic. Villagers, we need you. We need the the villagers to unite over the next two weeks to get Brendan. Hey guys, uh, name is Jack. Uh, just listened to your episode on "Do the Right Thing," and just wanted to say, excellent episode. I remembered watching this movie in high school for the first time. I believe I was somewhere around thirteen, fourteen years old. I'm now in military and work in security forces and this movie has informed me and how I approach the job in so many different ways Mm. Uh, in speaking with the general public and that sort of thing I had no idea this was a movie that came out a year before Rodney King I actually thought it was a reaction to Rodney King Um, I also remember this was one of the first movies that my mom cried at the Mm -hmm. end of for the first time. I remember being blown away, but um, my mom was just crying. It's definitely impacted me in a very extreme way. Um, Love the podcast. Love the artwork. You guys uh, love the discussion. It's been I love listening to people just talking about movies. Keep up the good work. And keep up the artwork. Have a good one. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for your service. Mm-hmm. Got some pretty positive feedback on that episode. A couple texts mm-hmm. that I got. Quote, how have you not seen this movie yet before? <laughs> End quote. 
Um, so that was it was it was a fun conversation starter. And I think Jack sent us a few DMs recently on IG. Um, so I also hope Danny keeps up the art for this podcast. <laughs> I'll try. You know, we've seen some Proto's been doing some work behind the scenes. You know, I think he's waiting in the wings. He's like in that batter's box waiting. For uh, to get called up, <laughs> <laughs> maybe for the wedding singer episode that Daddy's not on. Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, man, maybe the Ten Commandments episode, Prince of Egypt, and um, mm. what other uh, other ones we we float in there? Passion, Passion of the Christ, guy. You want to talk about people weeping in a theater? When I saw Passion mm. of the Christ, that was one of the strangest movie going experiences of. Of, of all time for me, easily. The only scene I remember is when he gets whipped with that like cat of nine tails and it gets stuck in his ribs. Oh they, my God. Yeah. They yank it out and the flesh comes. I remember churches I just, were like, you know, having field trips to go to that movie. <laughs> that was like required viewing at, at Catholic churches, if I recall correctly. One thing I remember is when I saw it in theater, there was no previews. There was nothing on beforehand and I think that was like the first time I experienced that. And it was like shocking to like walk in and the movie just starts. There was nothing else going on. Have you guys seen in The Last the Temptation of Christ? Scorsese's movie? Mm-mm. No, but that's, isn't that Willem Dafoe? In Willem that? Dafoe as the Jesus Christ character. That, that movie is probably more sacrilege to <laughs> um, <laughs> most organized religion. Um, but I remember that being like one of those film school movies that I saw early on too. You know what Bible movie I saw recently that I loved was uh, Noah, the Aronofsky movie. Really? Yo, that movie's badass. Yeah, I love that movie. Who, that who plays Noah? It's uh, Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah, wow. I forgot about that movie and, entirely. And uh, Jennifer Connelly plays his, uh, what's Noah's wife's name? Did That's you rate that on Letterboxd? No, this was forever ago. Yeah, you watched it recently. Letterbox. I remember uh, I had a, a, there's a, Campus Crusade for Christ has a headquarters here in Orlando, and I worked there for a little bit, early 20s. And it was right when um, Mel was starting to f- work on filming uh, Passion of the Christ, and I worked like the front desk. And so he, they do the Jesus film there. And so Mel came in actually to um, just figure out how they did it and how to tell the story and where they mm. shot it. And I remember him coming in for the tour of the place and... Yeah, that's crazy. I forgot about that. What was the Dan Brown book that came out with um, Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci Code, I remember. Angels and Demons. I'm thinking of um, my relationship to my my parents and then the, our, our local church at the time that book came out. I remember I read that book mm. and my mom was like, just remember, this is just a book. <laughs> This is, you know, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> she was like talking me off my ledge. I was like, okay, well, got it. Which is it's so funny because then I remember the Left Behind series came out. Oh, oh my yeah. god! Which every everybody was eaten up yeah. in the Christian community. Like this yeah. book is amazing. <laughs> Good old Kirk Cameron. Kirk, could we get Kirk Cameron on for the could. Mubby episode? I think we could. <laughs> <laughs> Pretending to be Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Kirk prepares to, he just like rewatches the Left Behind series and then we don't tell him that it's the Mummy episode. Uh, all right, so we got a lot of plans cooked up in the near future. It sounds like we have some ideas just coming out of this conversation right here. Stay tuned to our Twitter accounts, our IG account. Definitely follow our IG account to see Danny's gorgeous artwork every week. Um, 
thank you everyone for leaving voicemails, retweeting, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, really appreciate the support of the show. Your word of mouth definitely helps um, get other people to discover the show, discover Danny's art, and discover Proto's spiritual guidance. And those are the top mm-hmm. priorities of this podcast. Next week, Batman, huge episode. <laughs> the amount, oh my God. I can't so wait. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see everybody next week. Thanks. Seventy Millimeter is a VHS Village production and produced by Dale underscore A. Sponsored by Half Double Design. Original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual guidance provided by Protolexis. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Slim. Special thanks to the good people at Letterboxd and for a chance to win a pro Letterboxd account. Share the show and tag us on social media at 70mmpod. Goodbye.